Well, I'm excited to jump into God's Word tonight. Uh, Matthew chapter 26. My wife and I actually got to celebrate her birthday a little bit late. Uh, We went to a murder mystery show last night, and so uh, I made it through. I did not die. Neither did she. She's here with me tonight. And so uh, we lived to tell the tale uh, and had some fun last night, but uh, enjoyable time. Um, I, I thought I had it. I thought I knew who done it. And I tried. I, I really had it. I mean, I just had all of the wires together. You know that picture of that guy that's like looking at the wall and he's got like all the lines going back and forth? I was there. I really thought I had it. And then I just picked the wrong person. It was, it was very sad. I missed one clue and the clue wasn't a clue. It was a play on words. And if you caught the play on words, then you knew who did it. None of the, none of the actual clues mattered. So anyway... Uh, I was a little disappointed with the outcome, but we had fun. It was an enjoyable time. But we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 26 tonight. Of course, if you know the story of the Gospels, uh, Christ has come through and had the Lord's Supper, and we we celebrated that this morning uh, after the service. But then he's explained to the disciples about the flesh and blood and how uh, the the meaning behind taking uh, the the bread and the the, the drink there and how that has uh, significance for Christ's body and his blood and giving a sacrifice for our sins and how remission works. And then uh, Judas, of course, leaves the, uh, the meeting there and he goes out to betray Christ. And here in just a few short hours, He'll be back uh, with a posse to take Christ and to put him uh, to, to the uh, chief priests and the elders and all those things. And, um, but first, there's this uh, poignant story here we find in Matthew chapter 26 about the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's, it's one of my favorite stories, and, and I think by the end of tonight you'll understand why I enjoy it so much. But uh, Matthew 26, we're going to read there in verses 36 through 45. If you wouldn't mind, could we stand together? This evening, Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 45, we'll read, um, and if you'll follow along, I'll read here. It says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even to death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto his disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, Thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went, went away again and prayed again the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and said unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of our sinners. And I, I think it's so significant that Christ here stands on the precipice of what's about to happen, the crucifixion. Uh, being buried for three days and rising again. And he stands there just like we have many times when being faced with circumstances beyond our control. And he says, God, if there's any other way, Lord, if there's any other possibility of offering salvation to all mankind, can we go back to the drawing board? Can we figure out a different solution? And in that moment, I think Christ, of course, bears his heart for us. Now, we we know, of course, that Christ is uh, giving us an example of prayer and how we should pray. And we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. But I think also from this story, if we'll pay attention, I think Christ uh, gives us an example of every hierarchical relationship that we will experience in life. 
I think from this passage, we're going to see the relationship of how God relates to man. I think we'll see how a husband should relate to his wife. We're going to see how parents relate to their children. We're going to see how a pastor should relate to a church member and vice versa. We're going to see how a boss and an employee should work together and also how a government to their constituents should work. And this hierarchical relationship, I think, is, is very obvious through this. And I'm excited tonight as we get to unpack this and how it affects every single one of us. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for all you've done for us. God, thank you for this truth. And I pray, God, that you would speak to each of us tonight. Lord, I, I believe that this truth is applicable to every person here. Every single person here will find themselves in one of the two positions on this list. And I pray, God, that you would work in our hearts. God, I pray that it, in, in, in any area of weakness that we encounter, God, that you would confirm that to us, that you would work significantly behind the scenes to, uh, Lord, work in our hearts and to bring about change in our lives. And I pray, God, that you would help us to walk away tonight different than we came in. And we'll give you the honor and praise for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Every hierarchical relationship has two positions, leader and follower. And in every one of those situations that I've listed, you'll find yourself in one of the two. You are either a parent or a child. Now, if you are a parent, understandably, you are both. Uh, and so that's an interesting way of life. But uh, you will find yourself in at least one of those two positions. Uh, a husband to wife, okay? You may not be in a relationship just yet. I'm looking around at a lot of teenagers. But someday you will enter into a relationship, God willing, uh, where you get to experience a husband to a wife type of relationship. Hey, if you're sitting here tonight, you get the relationship to enjoy of how God relates to man. Um, and in every situation, every circumstance we see here, you will find that God uh, shows through Christ's actions here in the Garden of Gethsemane a, a, a way of knowing how in a relationship that you should act. Um, and so we have, of course, a leader and a follower. Tonight I want to start with the follower, and I'm going to give you three responsibilities of the follower. Now, if you're taking notes, um, I think this is a good outline to take notes. But um, first, first thing this, this evening, the responsibility of the follower is to share openly. If we are a follower, we have the responsibility to share our thoughts openly with the person in charge. Now, uh, we know this, this works uh, in a visible way in a lot of different relationships, but we should have, through prayer, access to God to speak openly just like Christ did. Christ uh, perfectly illustrates this in the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes to God, he bears his soul, he says, hey look, God, I, I don't really want the way that these circumstances are turning out. I'm not comfortable with the way that things are going, but I'm going to trust you with it. And so Christ illustrates for us how, through his relationship with God, he's able to share freely. Hey, by the way, in a relationship with a, a husband and a wife, did you know you're supposed to be able to share freely with one another? Now, I know to, to some of you that's, that's so simple, and it's so bottom shelf. It's, it's too simple. But for many in the room, that may be a situation where, where we have not quite understood that. I've dealt with many young people and, uh, who, who do not understand this, and they build a relationship through dating where they do not really truly share the way that they feel. And so what inevitably will occur in those relationships is uh, those two young people who have dated but not really dated in a very transparent way and have not truly talked about their feelings and the way they feel about specific situations will enter into a marriage relationship, and then within a couple of months, they, they say the honeymoon has ended. 
Why does the honeymoon end? Well, because they had created these fallacies, these fake pictures of themselves, and had shown only those fake pictures of themselves to each other. And so, after a time in marriage, when inevitably those situations break down, we see an issue of not being able to share freely and how it comes to cause problems in a relationship. Now, if you've been married for quite some time, I'm sure that you've learned how to work through these things and to be able to share openly. Now, um, I've got more thoughts on that, but I I do want to say that we shouldn't be afraid to bear our hearts. We should be able to speak freely. Hey, there's got to be trust. I've said before that the the foundation of a relationship is trust. It's not love. Love is great. I hope you have love. But the foundation of every relationship is trust. And so in trust, we find the capacity to share openly and freely with our significant other. Now, I'll direct your attention to Genesis chapter 25, where we find the story of Isaac and Rebekah. Of course, you know Isaac was the son of Abraham. And in this relationship here, he's married as an older man. He's in his 40s when he gets married. Uh, Older man, nobody take offense. Uh, But he's uh, in his 40s when he gets married, old by our standards for getting married in 20s or 30s. But uh, as he gets married, we see the way that their relationship comes to pass. Isaac and Rebekah, Genesis 25, verses 21 through 24, the Bible says, And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. And the children struggled within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and one people shall be stronger than the other people. And the elder shall serve the younger, and when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, they were twins and her womb. Now, here's the problem. The Bible never records the conversation that needed to occur between Isaac and Rebekah. Now, by the way, we all know the end of the story of, of Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau constantly at odds with one another, fighting with one another. Esau eventually selling his birthright. Jacob eventually uh, robbing him of the blessing. Always working behind the scenes to try to navigate and to circumvent the way things that were supposed to occur. Rebecca eventually helping Jacob steal the blessing. Why did, why did they have to do that? Well, I believe personally it was because she never shared with her husband the things that God told her about the situation that was supposed to occur here. There was, there, was some, there was some things that were supposed to happen. And, and the thing that was supposed to happen was Rebecca was supposed to share the truth that the angel of the Lord had come and shared with her, and yet the Bible never records that she did. Now, you can believe that maybe uh, Isaac specifically decided to go against God, and maybe he did. Maybe he chose to uh, live his own way and decided that, you know what, tradition says that I should bless Esau, and so I'm just going to go ahead with that. He's going to be my favorite, and so that's what I'm going to do. But I personally believe that the conversation that was supposed to occur never did. And so there we see a, a, some, a, a, a cross-section of a relationship that's truly broken. A relationship where two people never quite learn to trust, never quite learn to share openly and freely. You know, God will not always tell the leader in a situation all of the details in that situation. And that's why we have the responsibility to share openly. In every relationship, there is a responsibility of the follower to share his side and make his side known. Now, I, lo- I love the story of Moses. Moses interceding on behalf of the children of Israel. They've, uh, he's been up on the mountaintop for 40 days and 40 nights, and uh, the children of Israel have gone astray just in that short amount of time. They're already worshiping idols, and uh, God says, ah, Moses, get down from here. I'm just going gonna, gonna to wipe them off the face of the earth. I'm done with them. I'm already tired of them. And Moses said, God, 
what are you doing? He, sa- he says, consider the ways that the, the other people are going to see what you're doing. He says, uh, look at Exodus 32, verses 11 through 14. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out? To slay them in the mountains? To consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit forever. And, look at this, the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Now, uh, there's a whole truth here. How does intercession work? How do we... Uh, as fallible human beings, change the mind of God? Well, the truth is I don't have an answer for you. Uh, but God tells us to try. God tells us to speak openly and freely with him, just like Christ does here in the Garden of Gethsemane, and to bear our hearts to him and make our way known. Now, the blessing. What a comfort. God heard Jesus. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 tells us the other side of the story. In that, while Christ prayed, the Bible says, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard and that he feared. Do you know what sharing your heart openly does for the follower? It gives you security. Have you ever thought about that? When you share openly and have the platform to share freely the way that you feel in a situation with the thoughts and with the problems and be able to bring in all of the solutions to the problem as you see it, but leave it openly on the table. Do you know what that does for the follower? It gives them a sense of security to know that they can trust the decision that's being done. Now, we're going to talk more about the leader's role in this situation, and we're going to kind of come full circle here tonight. But first of all, I want to say that as a follower, in every relationship, there's a, a leader and there's a follower. And as the follower, your first and foremost responsibility is to share openly. Secondly, you need to be able to walk away in faith. The Bible says, um, uh, Hebrews chapter 5, we'll get there in a second, but faith in God, first of all, to give wisdom where it's needed. We've got to have faith where God is involved to give the knowledge and, and wisdom necessary in those situations. And so in every situation that you're involved in, you've got to be able to walk in freely, share what's on your heart, and then trust that God is going to give wisdom where it's involved. Also, we need to have faith in the leader. We've got to be able to trust that uh, the, the situation that they're involved in, they're going to be able to make the right decision and be able to move forward in those certain things. Um, and, and by the way, God may not give you a clear answer the first time that you pray. Do you notice that Christ had to go back three different times? He prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking. Uh, and so the truth is, you may find in situations where you do not get the answer you're looking for. Um, and there's nothing wrong about continuing on with it, but we've got to be able to walk away in faith, trusting, first of all, that God is going to come through and give wisdom where it's necessary, but also having faith in the leader who may know more about the situation than you do. And we've got to be able to trust the leaders in our life. By the way, uh, if you've got a leader in your life, maybe a, a boss or somebody that you work for, uh, maybe a situation where you're, you, you, you feel like, man, I've shared my heart with them and I feel like they just don't act right. They, they just don't logically make sense. They just don't do the things that they should do. Maybe that's a situation where you've got to find a different leader. Um, and sometimes leaders do not live up to their end of the bargain. And like I said, we're going to talk about the leader's position and their responsibilities. But for us as followers, we have the responsibility to share openly 
and then walk away in faith. Faith, first of all, to believe that God's going to give wisdom. Faith, secondly, in a leader who knows more about the situation than you do. But thirdly tonight, faith that whatever happens will bring about God's will. Do we understand God gives us our leaders in life? One of the most difficult things, I think, for a child to grasp is that their parents were given to them by God. Isn't that amazing how difficult it is for some to understand? God puts the people and leaders in your life specifically to represent him. God gave you the parents that you have. He gave them to you because of your education and your learning. God wants you to grow and benefit from the people that he's placed in your life. Likewise, the, the leadership and, and all of those capacities, God ordains leadership. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, Christ, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them. That obey him. And sometimes obedience is not easy. It's not. But obedience through suffering brought Jesus perfection. It made him complete. And so through Christ's offering and sacrifice on the cross, we find how obedience can be a blessing to us. And, and the truth is we may suffer. You know, we, we may deal with a leader who does not deal with us uh, the way that they ought to, but we have the responsibility to share openly and to walk away in faith. Uh, walk away in faith. And then, thirdly, um, and the last thing tonight for uh, the follower is to experience freedom. Hey, there's freedom that comes from trusting the leader in your life. There, there's an openness uh, to to be able to walk away from a situation, knowing that the person that is involved in that situation is going to be able to act in your best interests. You know, God has given you leadership in your life to direct you in the way that he would have you to go, and so trust them. Colossians 3 tells us, Wives, submit unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men. So we see the three responsibilities of a follower. Our, our last thing tonight, and we've got a few things here, but four responsibilities of the leader. Four responsibilities of the leader. And the first thing, and I think it's maybe the most important thing, is to create an environment of trust. As a leader, as, as the leader in a situation, you have the responsibility to create an environment of trust. That means uh, no judgment. No defensiveness. You ever been involved in a, uh, a conversation where as soon as you start in on the topic, the person was like backing away from you? Hello. And ever been involved in a situation where as soon as you brought up a, a problem or something that you were facing where all of a sudden now it just blows out of proportion and there's no controlling it? And what happened? I don't know. As the leader, we have the responsibility to remain calm and to move forward without judgment, allowing the environment of trust to be prevalent in this area. Um, the second thing tonight is to prove your willingness to hear and implement. Um, can I say tonight, we are not infallible. Anybody here perfect? Anybody? No. We need input. You know, this is one of the most, I believe this is one of the most, tr- the biggest truths that could truly affect your marriage if you'd let it, and truly all of these relationships. You know, God sets the structure of the home so that the, the Bible says wives submit to your husbands, right? And that's a, that's a touchy verse in this, this day and age, in this culture. But what does the Bible mean by that? What it means is that God is going to look to the man in the relationship as the uh, decision maker. 
And so someday at the judgment seat of Christ, God is going to call the man in the relationship to stand before his throne and answer for the decisions that were made, for the direction the family was taken, for the places that they chose to move to, for the jobs that he took. God is going to look to the man for those decisions. Why? Because someone has to be in charge. And so God chose the man, and he's going to choose to have the man stand someday on behalf of the decisions of his family. The Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands. That doesn't mean, woman, listen. No, 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 not at all. Okay, some of you need a little joke. Okay, we're awake. Uh, That's not what the Bible's talking about there. What it's referring to is this relationship that we see Christ has with God in the garden, where he goes forward and he, he speaks with a clear heart. This is what I need you to know. These are the circumstances. This is how the situation is playing out. This is the way that all of these things fit together. But I'm going to let you make the decision. I'm going to let you choose the outcome and the way that it faces. And by the way, this, this, this version of submission is not a situation where I'm just, you know, telling my wife what to do. No, 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 no. I need her input. I need her help. Do you realize God gave her to me as my help me? Husbands, you have a help me. She's with you. You don't think she has any wisdom or knowledge that God could share through her into your life and about the decisions you're going to make? Men, we are crazy. We are crazy if we think that we can do it without our wives. Amen? Say amen. Amen? All right, okay. Just checking. Just helping you gentlemen out. Hey, we need the input and wisdom of the woman in our life. Men, we need that help. And God illustrates it here for us. Hey, look, she should be able to walk to us. Cindy should be able to come right up to me and say, Cameron... I'm thinking about this situation. I'm not sure about this decision. I don't know about this. I'm not sure about that. I feel this way about something. But now that I've shared my heart with you, I'm going to trust you. And praise the Lord, uh, for the vast majority of our lives, uh, for our relationship together, Cindy's done just that, and I appreciate her for that. But we've got to prove our willingness to hear input. Do you know, how, how long do you think Cindy would keep sharing her thoughts with me? If as soon as she came to me, my response was, ah, come on, shut up, come on, I, I got it, I know what I'm doing, stop talking to me. How long would our, I mean really, truly, okay, uh, we might be able to fake it for a while, but there's no way that relationship continues long term. Hey, in a relationship that's built on trust, two people in the relationship should be able to come together. We should be able to have differences of opinion. Okay, A perfect marriage is not one where both people agree all the time. A perfect relationship is one where two people disagree in a Christ-like way, share their thoughts, the wife submits to the husband's final decision, but the husband truly loves, cares about, and hears out the way his wife has, what she has to say and her input into the situation that they're facing. Amen. That's a Christ-like relationship. That's the way that Christ has ordained it. And we see it here in this passage. By the way, uh, I'll tell you another example of a a situation very similar. Um, Cindy makes the food in our house. Now, she makes the food. I think she does a fantastic job. Um, But we agreed a long time ago, I will never complain about anything that she eats. Ladies, amen? Okay? I'll, I'll eat it. I will put a smile on my face, and every bite will be gone. Okay? I, I do not waste food. I eat it. And, and I, have I ever complained, Cindy? Now's your chance. Never complained. Never once. Look at that. That didn't look like the vote of confidence that I was hoping for, but... 
Nonetheless, I've done my best to never complain. Here, here's one, one thing that we've figured out, though, okay? Cindy wants to make good food, okay? I mean, that's, that's a good thing, right? She wants to make good food. She doesn't want to continue making bad food. And so one thing that we have discovered works for us, and, and uh, maybe something that you could apply in a situation that you face, is I will eat the food, and I will be happy about it, and I will enjoy it. But once I'm done, I will share feedback about, okay, well, will that, should that meal be a regular meal? Or is that like a one-time meal? Okay. Now here's the thing. Here's the thing. You laugh. You laugh. But, gentlemen, wouldn't it be nice to, to, to just be able to go home and know that you're going to enjoy food? To, to know that you can share your input. And ladies, by the way, this is not, this is not in, a, in a fighting way. I, I wash the dishes. I help. But the tr- what I'm trying to say and what I'm trying to explain is... The way a relationship should be able to work together, to share input back and forth. Hey, she doesn't want to make me bad meals. She doesn't want to make me bad meals. Her true desire in life, is in, in this particular area, is to make good meals that we as a family will enjoy. But if she's unwilling to hear feedback about how those things taste and that recipe you got online was not as good as we hoped it would be, okay... Those situations occur, but she's got to be secure enough in our relationship to be able to hear that sort of input and to implement it. And it goes both ways. Hey, look, I've got to be able to understand that sometimes I make bad decisions. Sometimes the things that I think are going to be a great idea are not a good idea. But I need someone in my life who's in my corner. We're we're not not at odds with one another. We are together in a relationship where we are trying to accomplish something specific. And what we're trying to accomplish together is to grow closer together as we grow closer to God and as we raise a family that's hopefully growing closer to God in the process. That's our goal. And when your goal is to work together for the common good of the relationship, so many other things take a back seat. I don't have to get offended when she thinks I've made a bad decision because you know what? Sometimes I make bad decisions. And she doesn't have to get offended when one recipe didn't turn out the way that we hoped it would. Because sometimes they just don't. And so we need the input open and freely shared between us in order to develop together a relationship that can truly succeed. Hey, look, if if we play this game of, I'm just going to tell her everything's wonderful and everything's happy, and how long can I keep it up? I couldn't keep it up very long. Maybe you can do a good job of that, but... We learned to share feedback and prove through the leadership's position to prove your willingness to hear and implement. Number three, responsibilities of a leader. First of all, I said create an environment of trust. Know that you can trust each other. Number two, prove your willingness to hear and implement. But number three, set forth your verdicts in a fair way, judging carefully for the good of the whole. Hey, look, leaders... If, if you're selfish, your followers will notice. Husbands, if you're selfish, your wives are going to figure that out. They're not blind. Parents, if you're selfish, your kids are going to know. Bosses, employers, you're selfish, your employees are going to figure it out. Why? Because we're all selfish. We're all selfish. And one of the things that we recognize best in other people are our own faults. And so because everybody's selfish, everybody recognizes everybody else's selfishness. It's a whole thing. And so, 
One of the responsibilities of a leader is to carefully set forth your verdicts in a fair way, judging carefully for the good of the whole. Colossians 3, verse 25 says, And he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Chapter 4, verse 1 continues and says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. You see, we're, we're as, as leaders, as uh, builders, as people in charge in the situation or the relationship, we are looked to by God to deal justly with the people under our care. You know, I had a boss... Uh, in college, and uh, this was many years ago, but um, worked a doc job, and, and my boss, uh, he, he, was, he was a nice enough guy. He, he was a guy that was kind of friendly and kind of buddy-buddy with a few of the guys, and came to find out that he, uh, they, w- they would go out drinking every Friday, Saturday, often Sunday, and they just spent you know, hours upon hours in the bar, and he always had an open invite to anybody in the warehouse that wanted to go. Now, I never went. Save my job. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, But I never went out with them. But what I came to discover about this guy who seemed friendly up front is that he tended to give the best things to the people that went out drinking with him. Now, maybe you've been involved in a situation like this where there was some some obvious nepotism, favoritism uh, that occurred within an environment. But in in this capacity, I remember I, I, I earned... My, my boss's name was Jason. I earned Jason, my manager's favor. He liked me. Uh, I worked hard. I showed up for work. I never called off. Like all the things that you're supposed to do. But I was never in Jason's inner crowd. And so in a given situation where there was a, a raise coming up or something good that would be given out. I say something good. It's all work. But you know how some work is not the same type of work as the bad work. There's good work and there's bad work. And I always got the bad work. Why? Because I was capable and I could get it done. And so Cameron, go do all that stuff, you know. Uh, and it was just amazing to see how nepotism can really tear apart a company. And over the course of the two or three years that I was there, um, I watched as, as people left. And there was a turnover rate like you wouldn't believe. People would come and stay for two weeks and then leave because they didn't make the in crowd. There were people who would show up and uh, after three or four months they were making uh, assistant manager positions. Come to find out, it was all the drinking buddy game and all the, the fun that they were having on the weekends. And all these things led to the positional leadership. And uh, I, I watched as the entire structure kind of crumbled. They ended up having to replace Jason. They replaced Jason's leader, who was also kind of involved in this uh, nepotistic behavior. But it was in, incredible to watch how the things that seemed like they worked from Jason's perspective did not continue for, the, for many years to come. And so if you truly want to, to, to be, uh, take part of this responsibility that God has given you, you have to work carefully and not be selfish or show favoritism. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. So first of all, for responsibilities of the leader, create an environment of trust. Number two, prove your willingness to hear and implement. Number three, set forth your verdicts in a fair way, judging carefully for the good of the whole. And number four, remember as a leader, you represent God. And truly, I think we could spend some time here. Remember as a leader, you represent God. Do you realize that every form of leadership is a picture of who God is? Parents, you ever thought about that? You are the picture of God 
that your children will first understand? Your relationship with them is the first relationship with God. It, It directly mirrors it. And as you raise and rear your children, you have a, a deep response. I have a deep responsibility. We have two kids now, and, and I, it seems like every day I'm catching myself, doing things that just, you know, they come to mind. It's, it's the, the way that I, I was raised, and it's just the natural thing. And sometimes things come by habit or by rote, and sometimes I feel God just pulling me back on my shoulder and just saying, Cameron, don't forget, you represent me. And as parents, we have that responsibility to, to represent God to the children in our life. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 through 9 says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You see, it, it doesn't just end with parents. Verse 7 says, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is their respective persons with him. What a blessing we have. God does not play favorites. He doesn't play favorites. He loves us all exactly the same. I was reading my Bible this morning, and uh, as I do sometimes, and uh, John chapter 15, um, I, I, was, I woke up early this morning, had to be here early for a music practice, and uh, I, I was just reading from John 15. I didn't have a lot of time, but God showed me this verse, and I just felt like it fit so well. I, I went to bed Saturday night feeling like, there was something, just something not quite right about this, this outline. Um, I'm just being transparent with you. But uh, as, as I sat down this morning to read, God showed me John chapter 15, verses 12 through 16. He says, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, but the servant... Knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it you. We've spent this whole time talking about hierarchical relationships and how a leader and a follower should interact. And how significant is it? That Christ, the Son of God, does not call us his servants. He calls us his friends. Is that amazing? That as a son of God, I'm a joint heir with Christ, adopted into God's family, and I still have a hierarchical relationship with God. But Christ calls me his friend. You know, the Bible says, Proverbs 18, verse 24, that there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And maybe you're familiar with God the Father. The, the Bible says, that, uh, well, hath thou, thou believes that there is one God that will do us well. The, the devils also believe and tremble. But maybe you've never met my friend Jesus. Could I introduce you to him? The Bible says four things. First of all, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ 
was sent to die on a cross for you and for me. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. Every one of us. We've all sinned. We've all done things wrong. And that wrong causes separation between us and God. God is perfect and we cannot be. The Bible says, because of that sin, the wages of sin is death. Death and hell. And unfortunately, the outcome of living a life of sin is death and hell. But the verse continues. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the question of why Christ died for us 2,000 years ago. Why did Christ die on a cross? Why did he have to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane? Why did he have to, to come to earth at all? Is this truth right here. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And because of that sin, we deserve to die and go to hell. But Christ through God's love for us, came to die on a cross, to offer salvation, and to give us the gift of free and eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the only thing that you need to do tonight, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, is uh, to, to just accept Him. And, and you can do that through a simple prayer, and I can lead you in that. Let's all uh, close our eyes, or bow our heads. I'm going to pray a simple prayer, and, and if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I hope you'll pray with me. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve to die and go to hell, but I don't want to. I want to go to heaven. And I know I have sin in my life, and I know that sin creates a need for hell, but God, I want your eternal gift of life. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for my sins. Please take me to heaven when I die. In Jesus' name, amen. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand? I just want to rejoice with you. I will not embarrass you. For those of us tonight, we've accepted Christ. Where do you find yourself on this leadership follower scale? Probably, like me, you find yourself on both sides. I hope these truths have encouraged you to be a better follower where it's necessary. I hope Christ's example in the Garden of Gethsemane has encouraged you to speak more freely and openly, to share what God places on your heart, to, to be a better leader, maybe to be more open as you pray and as you develop relationships around you and Maybe as you deepen your friendship with Christ, I, I pray that God will use this truth in your heart. In just a moment, we're going to pray. We'll stand to our feet. And if, you, if God is working on your heart, you'll make your way to this altar. Father, we love you. Thank you for all you do for us. God, I pray that you speak to hearts and help us, God, to be different. Help us, Lord, to, to see areas in our life where we need focus and, and change, where we can grow and we can be better for you. In Jesus' name. Let's all stand to our feet. The music's going to play. If you have a decision to make, the altar's open.
Lord, we love you. Thank you for all you've done for us. God, I pray that tonight you would work in our hearts. Lord, this week as we encounter relationships all around us, from every which side, I pray, God, that you'd speak to us, that you would remind us of these areas of need in our life, that you would guide us to be more Christ-like, that you'd help us to be the leader we ought to be, the follower we should be, and that, God, in every area, you'd help us to develop trust in our relationships so that we can move forward in a Christ-honoring way. And we'll give you the honor and praise for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated here in just a moment. We're going to watch a a video, some quick announcements for this week. Our Mother's Day service at Grandview is next Sunday, May 14th. Every adult lady who is present will receive a special gift, and on this Sunday we will also be holding a baby dedication. If you would like to commit your child to the Lord in this service, please sign up at the welcome desk in the foyer. The Amazing Race Teen Activity for 6th through 12th graders will be Thursday, May 18th at Grandview. The activity will start in the Abundant Life Room at 6 p.m. We will be divided into teams, and each team will be racing each other to complete a list of challenges. The cost for this activity is only $5, and pizza will be provided. The activity will end at 8.30 p.m., and for questions or more information, please see T.J. Gardner. Don't miss our annual Ladies Conference, Friday and Saturday, May 19th and 20th. The cost is only $25, and we'll have special speakers, Kathy Bailey, Molly Audis, and our very own Vicki Mutchler. Don't miss this great time of fellowship and Bible teaching. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you will receive a gift card. Have a great week and we'll see you Wednesday night at 7 p.m. And thank you again for coming. On behalf of Grandview Baptist Church, we love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless you.